Good morning, CBC family. My name is Katherine Love, and my husband Josh and I have been married for nine years, and we are parents to Micah, Bonnie, Everett, Caleb, and Josiah. You may have seen my boys sporting blue eyes and mohawks and moving at warp speed through the children's wing. When I read Pastor Milt's email about the promises of God, a memory popped into my head. It was November 29, 2017. I had just taken an ambulance ride from Langley Air Force Base Hospital to Portsmouth Naval Hospital with my then six-month son, Everett. He was in respiratory distress with a blood oxygen level of 81%, complications from the respiratory syncytial virus. They were admitting us to the pediatric intensive care unit at Portsmouth to try and get his rapid breathing under control. At the same time, my husband was with our then three-year-old son, Micah, at the pediatric intensive care unit at Children's Hospital in Norfolk, just across the river from where I was with Everett. Our daughter Bonnie was with some friends who were watching her while we were at the hospitals. Upon finding out that my husband and son were at a different hospital, the doctor in charge made some phone calls, and by that evening I had both my boys in side-by-side -side rooms at the PICU at Portsmouth. Shortly after Josh and Micah arrived, the doctor informed us that they couldn't get Everett's breathing under control and that they would have to intubate him. He was intubated and sedated for two weeks. During those two weeks, we had neighbors and friends provide meals, childcare for Bonnie and Micah, and so many friends near and far were praying fervently for our little boy. That was a fiery time in our lives. On top of the health complications, we were scheduled to move out of our home on base and move to Aldi, Virginia, where we knew no one and we had never been before. Life felt so heavy with uncertainties and unknowns at every corner. My testimony today comes from Isaiah 43 verses 1 through 2. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. There were many times during that trial where I felt scared and completely overwhelmed. But there was this peace that I couldn't explain. Despite my fears that Everett might not make it, I was reminded that he was the Lord's before he was mine, and that God is always faithful. The verses I just read say when, not if we will encounter trials and troubles in this world. But one thing I know in my heart is that whether I feel like I am drowning in the rivers of uncertainty or being consumed by the fires of what if, I know that the Lord will be faithful and I won't give up. Thank you. Actually, your response this morning, first of all, welcome everyone. I should probably begin that way. Your response kind of, as I was sitting there this morning, um, the Lord just really touched my heart in thinking, uh, a worship service takes so many different talents and abilities to put it all together. And I was sitting there thinking how, how the Lord just brought all the music today uh, so beautifully together with the, with the theme that we're going to be talking about. Catherine loves uh, testimony. Beautiful. I, I agree. Beautiful. And uh, Kyle, putting that video together, I'm so grateful for the talents and the abilities that he brings to our staff and looking forward to working with him uh, for many years to come. And uh, 
We are truly blessed here at Chantilly Bible Church, the way God brings us together. AV team, a worship service is really a masterpiece that God brings together, and I'm grateful for each and every, uh, every person that participates in that ministry. I'm also grateful for the fact that uh, we have the opportunity today to have uh, folks join us in person in worship and also to know that there are folks who are watching today online. It is such a pleasure to look into God's Word and spend time studying together. Uh, This summer, we are going through a sermon series of messages we've entitled Faithful, Standing on the Promises of God. And uh, I was so blessed by the first sermon, the passage coming out of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where we're reminded that we indeed serve a faithful God, one that we can wholeheartedly trust. And in that sermon, we we were reminded of the fact that even though we live in a culture that's all about uh, distractions and pulling us in every direction, a do-it-yourself cultural mentality that we all struggle with, It is absolutely essential as followers of Jesus Christ to walk hand in hand with him and look for him to guide us and direct us. And then last week, Mike led us in a sermon from John 1, 12 and chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 John and showed us that, folks, God is our Father. I've been thinking about that all this week. God, our Heavenly Father, and we are his children. And uh, we saw that as we believe and put our trust in Jesus, it's the start of this amazing, everlasting journey that God has given us, that we have the authority. Think about that, the authority and the privilege, the right to be brought into God's family, adopted and become the children of God. What an awesome, awesome God we serve. Amen? Amen. Today, as Catherine just mentioned in her testimony, we're going to continue in that sermon series on the promises of God by looking at Isaiah chapter 43. So if you haven't opened up your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn. I'm actually going to add verse 3. I think I can show you it's kind of a package. I hope to show you anyway. And as we look at these three Old Testament verses, we see a third promise that I hope to uh, emphasize here today from God's Word that our God is faithful, and folks, we need not fear. We need not be overwhelmed. So turn, if you haven't done already, uh, to Isaiah chapter 43, and I'd like to read out loud verses uh, 1 through 3. Follow along as we see what this faithful prophet of God writes about our great God. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Look at verse 3. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Notice here how the passage begins with with the words, but now obviously indicating a contrast of sort. And if we were to take the time to go back and read through the first 40-some chapters of this book, you would see the situation for Israel at this time is really 
really bad. The people of Israel have turned their backs on the Lord. They have made alliances with pagan kings instead of trusting in the Lord. They are serving and they are worshiping pagan gods, even offering their children to these pagan gods. And as a result, in 722 BC, after repeated warnings from God's prophets to the people of the northern kingdom, Assyria, a long and feared enemy, brutal tactics swept down out of the north, capturing and carrying off into captivity the ten tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel. And as a result, sadly, from that moment in time, they became lost in history. Likewise, because of their idolatry and their disobedience to God, in around 586 B.C., after about a year of sieging the, the, the city of Jerusalem and the, the, uh, the southern kingdoms, King Nebuchadnezzar, and I joked I would love to name my kid Nebuchadnezzar. He'd hate me for the rest of his life, but I love the name Nebuchadnezzar. Of Babylon, he leads his armies against the remaining southern kingdom of Judah, uh, killing many, destroying the temple, taking thousands into exile, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and literally leaving Jerusalem in utter ruins. And now we're about the end of that 70 years of captivity, and uh, it's coming to a close. The Jews are now faced with the incredible challenge, the incredible task of, of making that journey back home and the difficult task of rebuilding the city that was so destroyed. I don't know about you, but I can only imagine how overwhelming that must have been, how fearful that must have been for the people, what they must have felt like at that time. And you know, as I thought about this week, uh, that predicament that they were in, I doubt very much any of us have ever had to endure the severity uh, of, of an obstacle or a challenge like the, the stresses here that the people of Israel were facing when this passage in Isaiah 43 was written. But I think it's pretty safe to say here today that at one time or another, all of us, and I mean all of us, including this guy standing here on the stage, we have felt overwhelmed. We have felt fearful. We have felt ready to give up because we have been in situations that seem insurmountable, facing situations that just seem too much for us. And likely they are too much for us, as I hope to show you. And like the people of Israel, I am so very, very grateful today that there is always in those types of scenarios and situations the potential for God to interject, but now, but now. And then to go on and say, you need not fear. Fear not. It's a command. For example, I'm guessing that likely there are husbands and wives sitting in this room today who want to bail out on their marriages. There are likely also people here who have lost their job or they've incurred huge debt and they want to just throw in the towel. There may be people here today who are looking at their, their health situations, their past failures, struggles in their relationships, or, or something else of, of that same nature. They're feeling defeated. They're feeling beat down. They're feeling overwhelmed. You know, we used to have to keep up with the Joneses. No, no offense, Joneses. Okay. <laughs> But now we're competing and keeping up with hundreds, if not thousands, of internet strangers whose jobs, whose homes, whose cars, whose relationships, whose bodies apparently are better than ours. And I'm guessing that there's likely some here today that are feeling stressed and anxious and overwhelmed because life and our families are so much, every, so much has changed over the last couple of years. The truth be told, 
It is difficult, if not impossible in this world, for not to struggle with some fear because it's being pumped continually at us in the internet and Facebook notifications and Twitter feeds and listening to our radios and then, of course, the, watching the grim news on television 24-7. You know, there's a proverb that says people perish for a lack of knowledge, and I believe there's truth in that. But what can often, often be under, underappreciated is that we can perish from having too much information as well when we put our trust in ourselves. In the foreword of his book, um, author Mark Sayers, the book is entitled A Non-Anxious Presence. He describes this pervasive anxiety and overwhelmment and fear that is uh, prevalent in our society today when he says, listen to the description here and see if you don't find it accurate. Anxiety blankets our, blankets our society. Anxiety blankets our society and our lives like a thick, wet, bone-chilling fog. It hovers over both individuals and institutions, infusing personal and organizational life with new complexities. Folks, the bottom line is this. Many people today, and sadly including many Christians, and I know I've fallen prey to this, we are living in fear and anxiety, and, and we have all these different circumstances in our lives, and we're living as if God is not present or he's not trustworthy. And here in Isaiah 43, the message that I want screaming loud and clear that has blessed my heart so much this week is God is faithful. Our God is faithful and we need not fear. We need not be overwhelmed. So let me pause here and ask. Let's get personal for a minute. You don't have to yell it loud, but what are you afraid of today? What comes to your mind? And what circumstances are present in your life that are causing you right now, as you sit here in this church, to feel stressed or feel worried or feel anxious or maybe even overwhelmed? My friends, while God is surely speaking here in Isaiah 43 to the people of Israel a long time ago, and I think that's really important because proper application needs to understand the context here, I believe as we examine the faithfulness and the promises that are of God that are presented here to his people, we can learn a great deal on how you and I can endure, continue, and not be overwhelmed and give up in the trials of challenges that we will face, okay? Now, to help us remember this text and perhaps begin to strip off some of those fears and anxieties, as I led over this passage, as I looked over this passage, these verses, I see them presenting themselves in this delicious plump sandwich. Amy said in the staff meeting the other day, oh dear, you're not going to show a video of like Panera or something now. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. But I want you to look at this text as, a, as almost like a sandwich, okay? The upper and the lower pieces, verses 1 and 3, describe God, and they describe how he relates to his people. And then in the middle, verse 2, God presents these scrumptious promises. That's where the meat and cheese is, okay? So let's look first at how God describes himself and his relationship to his people here in verse 1. And the first thing we see him introducing himself as an all-powerful creator. We see God describing himself as an all-powerful 
creator. Amazingly, despite the unbelief and the apostasy that his people have displayed, God never abandons him. But now, thus says the Lord here in verse 1, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. We recently finished studying the book of Exodus. And you may recall that Jacob is kind of the raw material, so to speak, of God's redemptive work, changing him into Israel, the head of God's people, chosen people known as Israel, okay? And perhaps to pin that thought down a little bit more detailed here in Isaiah 43, a little stronger, he repeats that same thought with a different spin here in the next phrase, he who formed you, O Israel. Note the word, uh, or the title here, for God, Yahweh or Jehovah, all capital letters here, it denotes something special about God's character. It denotes his sovereignty. It denotes his creativeness. It, but, and yet it also emanates this personal side of God to want to have a relationship with his people. Isaiah 46 verses 3 and 4 make a very similar type of statement. Listen to the invitation. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you, I have made you, I will bear you, I will carry and will save you. We just saw in the book of Exodus, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, look at what God says about his desire to have a relationship with his people. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you. Notice all the I wills here. I will deliver you from out of slavery, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with, with great acts of judgment. Verse 7, I will take you. I love this. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. You see that personal nature God wants to have with his people. And clearly, folks, as you read these texts, I hope you can see that God created the people of Israel. When he did it, it was not an accident. It was not a surprise. It wasn't an oops situation. It was clearly not a second thought. In fact, look down at verse 7 in our text here, and we see that God created the people of Israel for his glory and for his pleasure. Of course, the ultimate God, uh, purpose of God choosing the Jews to be his chosen people is that through them, God would produce the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be the Savior of the world. And likewise, when God created you and me, he created us with a purpose in mind. You are not an accident. I am not an accident. There is no surprise or second thought in the mind and heart of our mighty God when he created us. And if you don't believe me, let's look at some scripture. Ephesians 2, verse 10. We often stop at verse 9, for by grace you've been saved, you know. Verse 10, for purpose, for we are his workmanship. Notice, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you look up just a few verses ahead of that, in verses 4 through 7, here's what we read. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, so that, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the heart of our mighty God, we are very special. And like Israel, God clearly established his church for a purpose. And that purpose is not necessarily to sit comfortably in soft chairs like we're doing in air conditioning. We have, dear friends, been created according to God's word to proclaim and live out the gospel everywhere we go. We take Jesus with us. And the Lord Jesus Christ tells Peter in Matthew chapter 6, verse 18, that the very gates of hell shall not prevail against us. And thus, like Israel, the church was planned, it was conceived, it was achieved because God wanted to get glory for his name through her. The church, as Matt mentioned earlier, is the body of Christ. I think it was Mike that mentioned it. We're a group of people. We're unified and made alive in Jesus Christ. We are redeemed for good works. We've been created by God to put forth on display his gracious mercy and power and his saving wisdom everywhere we go. And as Paul proclaims in Romans 8, and we just sang this a few moments ago, there is nothing, nothing, dear friends, in heaven or on earth that can separate us from his love. Amen? Second, Looking back at verse 1, God reveals himself as a merciful redeemer. The word redeem or redemption here means to secure a release or a recovery of a person or a thing by the paying the required price. It's a legal term. It's often associated with a ransom, as we'll see in a moment, atonement, substitution, and deliverance. And thus, often the writers to the scriptures use it to describe our salvation in Jesus. Think about it. Israel was in slavery to Egypt, in bondage, and they could not save themselves. But an even bigger problem for Israel wasn't just that they were in bondage to Egypt, but more importantly, they were sinful people who were guilty of disbelief and unfaithfulness to the God who loved them and saved them, wanted to save them. But God heard their cries. I love chapter 2 when we got to it. I remember standing up here in tears because I had had a horrible week when I preached that, where it said God heard their cries and groaning, and in his love and in his mercy, he redeemed Israel from slavery by the death of the Egyptians, the firstborn, through the firstborn. And he delivered them from judgment that same night with the blood of the Passover lamb. And so for 400 years, Israel lived under the bondage and the terror of Egyptian um, capacity there. And and in one magnificent night, they were set free. By while, and and this was something that occurred to me when I was teaching through that, while redemption set them free from sin, it did not set them free from God. Look at verse 1 again. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. He paid the purchase price. I have called you by name. Look at the last phrase. You are mine. 
They were once in bondage. It's true to Pharaoh as slaves by force, but God redeemed them. He delivered them from that bondage so that they could serve and worship him alone. That was the purpose right from the beginning. Not by force, but willfully in response to his grace and his steadfast love for them. They would serve, they would worship their one true master. And like Israel, we too, according to the scriptures, were slaves to sin. We, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, were once condemned to an eternal separation from God. And I'll tell you, we couldn't save ourselves. Jesus paid the price to redeem us, resulting in our freedom from sin and also from the eternal consequences of that sin, that separation from God. Listen to what Jesus said of himself in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, listen, to give his life a ransom for many. And that many includes people in this room who have put their trust in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes later, In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which never runs out. And just like the people of Israel, having been set free from sin, we now belong to our precious master. We are free to serve him. We are free to worship, not by force, but willfully in response to his grace and his steadfast love for us as our one true master. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul declares, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God. You hear that? So glorify God in your body. You know, folks, as I thought about this, there's nothing that deals with our fear more efficiently than knowing that we belong to God. Could you be a safer place? Think about it. The one who knows us more intimately than any other human being, the one who knows our faults, knows our downfalls, knows our secret thoughts, knows our fears. He knows all the things that once held us in shame. And he's even still, he purchased us, and he set us free. And today, he calls us by name. He calls us his own. And what a price he paid to make that a reality. Folks, if that's true, and it is, that's what the gospel is all about, isn't it? It's true. We can know he will hold us, protect us, guide us, and care for us. And after all, why would he go to the trouble of creating us, redeeming us, and calling us to himself if he didn't intend to complete the work that he began in us? And here's the thing that almost made me jump off my desk in a hallelujah. None of this is dependent, praise God, on my own strength or your strength. If it were true, we'd be doomed before, before we even started. It's all wrapped up in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who promises never to leave us and never forsake us. And so if we want to truly experience relief from that awful burden of sin and doubt and fear for the future, if we want to experience what genuine refuge is like and, and have an anchor for our souls, we need to run to the cross. And there we must hold on and cling to Jesus. Never let go. Let's look at the last thought here that God describes. The bottom layer of our bread, that delicious plump sandwich. And I'm getting really hungry. 
In verse 3, God introduces himself, third, as a holy and a sovereign Savior. For I am the Lord your God, the, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Again, that word Lord there, that title, all caps, is a reminder to us that we worship and we serve a sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present God who completely and personally uh, is in control of every circumstance of our life. Even in the midst of the storms, he is there for us. And he can move history, our nations, it says here in verse 3, for what he wants to accomplish in our lives. The word holy reflects his distinctiveness, his uniqueness. There is no other God like the Lord our God. There is actually no other God at all, really. He is a one-of-a-kind God, and that's who we worship today. The title, Your Savior, Verse 3, denotes someone or something who delivers us from danger or difficulty. And in Scripture, it's used both to describe that salvation from our sins and also from the daily protection that God shows us through the deliverance of physical obstacles. And why do I go through all that? Well, I hope as we've looked at these characteristics of God, these promises will become more real to us. I hope we can clearly see that the way that God describes himself here and his desired relationship with his people in Isaiah 43 here demonstrates, folks, that we serve and we worship and we trust today a faithful and worthy God of our trust. For as we look now at the promises God makes here in verse 2, we need to understand that a promise is only as good as the character and the ability of our power for that, making that real, okay, following through. And as an all-powerful creator, as we've seen, a merciful redeemer, a holy, sovereign savior, I believe God has provided everything that we need to fully possess an assurance that God is able and willing and reliable to keep his promises. With that in mind, let's look at the meat and cheese now in verse 2 of our delicious plump sandwich. God's scrumptious promises. Promise number one. When you pass through the waters, God says, I will be with you. Many biblical scholars believe this is likely a reminder or a reference to the time when God parted the Red Sea at the approaching army of the Egyptians came upon him and they were able to walk safely across that dry land. I'm not 100% sure. I can see that for sure, that that's a possibility, a definite. But one thing that I can say, and Catherine so beautifully pointed out, that life can sometimes bring us through rough waters, and we can feel like we're drowning. I have been there. Have you? Have you? And in times like that, it's not uncommon for me to hear people say, I can barely keep my head above water, Pastor, or I'm just drowning in my grief or my pain. King David certainly understood that in Psalm 69, verses 1 and 2. Look at what he says. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sleeps over me. And in those situations when we feel like that, these difficult scenarios, God says, don't give up. I will be with you. Promise 2, when you pass through the rivers, and notice it's plural, which probably indicates you should expect several of these. You shall not be overwhelmed by them. 
Some think this is a reference to the miracle after wandering for 40 years in the, in the wilderness when the, when the Jewish people finally were able to cross over the Jordan, which was at flood stages at that point, on dry land, very similar to the, the deliverance that they had at the Red Sea. Again, I'm not sure. Perhaps. But what I do know that walking through deep waters is one thing, but when you're walking across a river, you're dealing also with currents that can sweep over you or under you and drag you under the water, which is something completely different. And God says in those situations, be aware. Be assured, he says, don't quit. I will be with you. And finally, promise number three. By the way, I'm glad he doesn't spell out specifically what these are because I think we can apply them for whatever situation, putting our focus on God's character and promise. Number three, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame you shall not consume you. As Catherine pointed out, when life heats up, when stress levels get to a point where they're so overwhelmed, when criticisms seem relentless, when harassment seems unjustified, God says, don't quit. I will be with you. A great example of this promise being lived out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Cast into a Babylonian furnace because they would not bow or worship Nebuchadnezzar's idol. And I love Nebuchadnezzar's reaction in Daniel chapter 3, 24 and 25. Verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up in haste. He, de he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the, to the king, true, O king, right? 25, he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. Look, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. I don't think he fully comprehended it, but he obviously recognized a divine presence here, likely an Old Testament presence of Christ or appearance in that furnace, reminding us, reminding them that God is always with us in those blazing moments of life. Sometimes God brings us through. Sometimes he walks through, but he's always there. And again, it's a reminder that I hope you've heard throughout the sermon that our God is faithful. Our God is faithful and we need not fear. We need not be overwhelmed, when we're, regardless of what life throws at us. Now, let me make a couple of observations. One, Catherine's already done beautifully, I might say. Notice that trials are an inevitable fact in life, okay? Trials, challenges, obstacles, everyone will experience them, including Christians. We are not immune. Don't ever believe someone that tells you life gets easier because you... You know, life, they're not going to have problems because you trust in Jesus. The text says, if you pass, doesn't say if you pass through the waters. It says, but when you pass, okay? So, second, I, there's one thing that, I, that just jumped off the text as I was looking at it. Each of these statements contains the word through. God does not say he will prevent or remove the deep waters, the rivers of difficulties, or the fire from us. What he does say is, I will walk through, I will go through those seasons of life with you. I will not abandon you. And so, as often happens, when does God seem often furthest from us is when we're going through those times. And I think that's a strategy of the enemy to make us think that God is far from us. But I can assure you that God will, will never encounter a situation as a child of God where God is not present and there for us. We've got to sometimes believe that by faith. When we can't see God's hand, 
Trust his heart, right? And because he is always faithful, as the main point of this text has been, I think we need not be fearful, and folks, we need not be overwhelmed. A lot easier to think of this than apply it, I think, in our lives. And, and, and earlier I asked you, and I hope you did it, because I did it with you. What is it you're afraid of today? You got something like that in mind? What, is, what circumstances in your life are causing you to feel stressed and worried and anxious and overwhelmed today? I want us to personalize as we close Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3, by putting our name where it says, O Israel, or O, o uh, uh, help me, what just went blank on me? Israel, you got the picture. Let's read this together, and let's put our name there. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Milt. He didn't create you. He created you. Okay. He formed you. Milt, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When I pass through the waters, I know you will be with me. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm me. When I walk through the fire, I shall not be burned, and the flint not consume me. For you are the Lord, my God, the Holy One of Israel, my Savior. And those last pronouns are critical, aren't they? For you are my God. You are my Savior. I hope that's true of everyone here today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this, uh, this time in your word. And Lord, we are so grateful for who you are and all that you have done in our lives, Lord, you are indeed so worthy of our praise and our adoration and our service and our trust with all our hearts, Lord. And Father, seeing what we've seen in your word here today and knowing that trials could be around the corner, for any one of us, we praise you that in the middle, you will always give us the opportunity to see that, but now, fear not moments, knowing that we belong to you and that you will carry us through. We praise you and thank you, Heavenly Father. You are our Redeemer. You are our Savior, the one who has promised to bring us through the trials that we face victoriously as we put our trust in you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.